as Helen said, we're continuing today a series we started last week in the book of John, looking at seven things that Jesus said about himself. Now, Jesus is the, the central figure of the Christian faith. And so we want to spend some time getting to know Jesus. And a lot has been said throughout history about Jesus, about who he was, what he did. Lots of people have had lots of thoughts, lots of ideas about Jesus. And so rather than just kind of going through history and finding out what other people had to say or what other people thought, we thought, well, we're going to open the Bible uh, and see what he said about himself. Uh, And so we've called this series, I Am... Uh, getting to know Jesus in his own words. And the, the reason for the I am is that in each of these seven statements that we're looking at, these seven things Jesus said about himself, he begins them by saying, I am the something. And so last week we had the, the, the joy of looking together from John chapter 6 at Jesus as he said, I am the bread of life. Uh, and we looked at what Jesus meant by that. And today we come to the second, where Jesus, uh, in John chapter 8, declares about himself, I am the light of the world. And we're going to take some time looking at what he means by that. So as I said, we're going to read from John chapter 8. So if you've got a Bible, I would encourage you to open it uh, and have a look. The verses will come up on the screen here, but I'd always encourage you to check it out for yourself and not just trust that what I've put up here is what the Bible says. I could write anything. If you don't check it, you don't know. could just be making it up. Uh, So it's always worth checking. And if you don't have a Bible, uh, then there are some on the table at the back. Uh, Please do feel free to jump up. Uh, and grab hold of one of those to make use of this afternoon. And feel free to take it home with you if you don't have one. Uh, Take that as a gift from us to you. So, the way we're going to tackle this today is we will read the the whole passage. So we're going to read from chapter 8, verse 12, through uh, to verse 30. We'll read it all in one chunk. Then we'll go back uh, and seek to see what we can glean from the passage and from what Jesus said. So let's read together. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The Pharisees challenged him. Here you are, appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. Jesus answered, Even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid. For I know where I came from and where I'm going. But you have no idea where I come from or where I'm going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are true. Because I'm not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. In your own law, it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I am one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. Then they asked him, where is your Father? (laughs) You do not know me or my Father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. He spoke these words while teaching in the temple courts, near the place where the offerings were put. Yet no one seized him, because his hour had not yet come. Once more, Jesus said to them, I am going away, and you will look for me, and you will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. This made the Jews ask, will he kill himself? Is that why he says, where I go, you cannot come? But he continued, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world, but I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins if you do not believe that I am he. You will indeed die in your sins. Who are you? They asked. Just what I have been telling you from the beginning, Jesus replied. I have much to say in judgment of you. But he who sent me is trustworthy, 
And what I have heard from him, I tell the world. They did not understand that he was telling them about his father. So Jesus said, when you have lifted up the son of man, then you will know that I am he. And that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. And even as he spoke, many believed in him. I'm going to pray and then we'll we'll unpick. Jesus, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you uh, for the gift of your word. Uh, Spirit, we thank you for inspiring people to write down and record this for us, that we might read it and that it would do us good, that it would lift our gaze to you in your glory and your beauty, that it would benefit our hearts today. And so we say, Lord, would you help us to understand your word this afternoon? Holy Spirit, would you apply it to our hearts in such a way that we don't go out of here unchanged, but in such a way that we leave here with a greater understanding and appreciation of who you are, but more than that, that we would leave this place uh, more in awe of you, more in love with you, more enraptured with your glory and your beauty, and more thankful for all that you've done to bring us into right relationship with you, Lord. Amen. Okay, just to cue this up, we're going to look very quickly at the structure of this passage. I'm aware we moved quickly through a large number of verses, uh, and we're not going to kind of pick over the whole thing verse by verse. Um, You could do a whole series easily on on just this passage. Uh, But to just kind of help give some shape uh, to how we're going to walk through this morning, the structure of the passage flows like this. Right at the beginning, in verse 12, Jesus makes this declaration about himself. I am the light of the world. And along with that, he says that people should follow him, doesn't he? He says, and whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That sounds good. Yeah? Good. What happens next? Well, we have an exchange between Jesus and the religious leaders of the day. And that that takes up a large number of the verses that we've just read, because they just simply say, we don't believe you. <laughs> like, on whose authority are you saying that? No, we're not having it. And Jesus walks through and helps them understand why what he's saying, or, or points out why what he's saying is trustworthy, reliable, why this claim about himself is true. And then, finally, the, at the end of the passage, He comes into telling them what the stakes are. What the stakes are for accepting or rejecting this claim he makes about himself. And the stakes are high. It's not just kind of like, well, sure, you know, you might believe, you might not. He's very clear with them, and we're going to get to that as we go. And so that's exactly how we're going to handle it in that order. We're going to start with Jesus' claim. We're going to look briefly at how he uh, explains to them that this claim is true, is trustworthy and reliable. And then we're going to talk about the implications of either accepting or rejecting what Jesus says about himself. So we're going to get straight in then at verse 12. Jesus says this, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. He starts with this phrase, I am. Now, if you were here last week, we looked at that in in far more detail than we're going to today, but I said it features in, in all of these seven statements Jesus makes about himself, and it's phrased in a very particular way. I don't know if any of you remember how I talked about it last week, but, but as Jesus was speaking, only one word was necessary uh, in, in the common language to say, I am something. It was just one word. But here we find the use of two words, and it, it's kind of peculiar as a structure because what he actually says, if you break, he says, he says I, I am. <laughs> you think, well, that's just weird. Why do that? And we looked last week at the fact that that is... the the way God speaks of himself and introduces himself 
to Moses. And he declares that he is the great I am, the one and only true God. And, and so when Jesus uses this phrase about himself to speak of himself, he's declaring that he is divine, that he is God, that he is the great I am. And his Jewish hearers would have heard that. They would have been angry or confused, maybe a mixture of both. And we see their response at different times to him. He does that. It's, it's, it's not incidental. Actually, you, if you had the time, if we had the time, as you break down Jesus' argument that comes after this, he at some points uses the normal I am. And at other points, he talks about himself as divine. And, and so it's very clear that he does this deliberately. Because in the argument, when they say to him, your testimony is not valid, and we'll come to it more in a moment, and he says it is, well, he says, I, I don't judge. He uses the normal thing of it. So he says, if I was just a human, I wouldn't pass judgment. So if I was speaking just as merely a human, well, you're right. What I'm saying would hold no weight. But, and then he goes on, but I am. And he uses that phrase again to declare and to underline that he is God. The fullness of God come to live and walk the earth in human flesh. He says, I am. He's God. And as God, he says, I am the light of the world. Well, what does that mean? The light of the world. It's a compelling image. It's a, it's a use of language and a use of something that we see and understand in the world all around us to help us understand something of the nature of God and how he deals with people. You see, without light, we're lost, aren't we? Aren't we? If, if you're somewhere and all the light goes, you are scuppered. Lost. Light brings life. Things grow in the light. It's essential for growth, for life. See, long term, without light, we get very sick and die. Even over a fairly short period of time, without light, without the natural daily light that we receive and the rhythm that that brings to us, we get really messed up as humans. We get unhealthy quickly. Light helps you see where you're going. Light brings safety and security and comfort. People are not made to live in the darkness. We struggle in the dark, don't we? Maybe it's just me, but I, I think it's okay. You can say yes. if you. Yeah, we struggle in the dark. Recently, we've had some power cuts at home. I know Mark and Grace have had these as well because we live close together, and they've been very localized, which is quite frustrating uh, and I'm sure many of you have experienced power cuts at some point in your life. I would imagine all of you. Now, we have the privilege of, as I said, living just down the road from this, this lovely centre here. It's a beautiful rural setting. We can look out the back of our house and we see fields and trees. And it's, it's, it's really lovely. But it's also really, really dark when the lights go out. <laughs> There's no street lights on emergency battery-powered things or anything like that. It's dark. <laughs> so when the fuse trips or there's an issue with the power, we are lost in our own house. I mean, I, I mean really dark. In fact, recently when we had one, we weren't prepared for it. We didn't have torches kind of anywhere accessible. We didn't have any candles lying around. It was carnage. I mean, the, the children were scared. They didn't know what to do. Jenny had to kind of get all the children together on the sofa and be like, like just stay there. Don't move. Because if you move, you're going to bump into something. Oh, no, you just bumped into something. No, stay there. <laughs> and so the children huddled on the sofa with Jenny's phone torchlight to try and see what they were doing. And I'm walking around with my phone torchlight to try and see if it's a fuse trip or something else. I'm calling Mark and saying, have you lost power as well? What's going on? Without the light, we're lost. 
When you drive at night, you put headlights on, don't you, to drive the way so you can see where you're going. What would happen if you tried to drive at night, particularly on roads like this where there are no streetlights without your headlights on? It's not a trick question. What would happen? You would crash. You would crash. It would be complete carnage. So we can all agree that we need light. That light is a good thing. But what does Jesus mean by saying that he is the light of the world? Well, some context will help us understand why he chose to use that picture and why he said it when he did. And the context is this. As Jesus is speaking to these people in the temple courts, his timing is smart. They're in the middle of a festival. They're in the middle of a celebration, the Feast of Tabernacles. And this festival was to celebrate and commemorate when God led his people out of slavery in Egypt and as he led them to the promised land through the wilderness, God led them by a pillar of fire, of light. God presents himself with them and he lit the way. He showed them where they should go as they walked through the wilderness. And for as long as they followed the light, they were heading in the right direction. They wouldn't get lost. God would guide them by light. And they instituted this festival where they would remember God's faithfulness to them in leading them out of slavery and into their inheritance, into freedom. The people who were listening to Jesus as he said these words had this imagery fresh in their minds. They were celebrating that God gave them light to lead them out of slavery to their inheritance to freedom. As part of this festival, they light lots and lots of candles to bring light (laughs) so that they could see where they were going. So they wouldn't get lost. So they wouldn't walk in darkness. They celebrated that God delivered them. But in his deliverance, that they had to follow him. (laughs) That God led them, but they had to walk in the light. And in the context of this celebration and remembrance, Jesus came and said... I'm God, I am the light. I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. It was a vivid picture, a vivid reminder. God brought light and led them into freedom. And Jesus was saying, I have come and I am light to bring you into true freedom. If you follow me, you won't walk in darkness. You'll have the light of life. It's part one of what it means and why Jesus said it. What did he say he's the light of? It's the light of Berkshire? No. The light of the UK? Is this the light of the world. In other words, he said that Jesus came for everyone. (laughs) That he's universal in his appeal. He came to bring light to everyone. It's not just about people who are like you or people who you like. We all need Jesus. And gloriously, he came for us all. What else can we understand from the fact that Jesus came and said he was the light of the world? Well, that he's the only one. (laughs) The world has no other light. It's darkness or Jesus. That's your choice. There's no other option. There's no alternative way. (laughs) 
Jesus is the light. Singular, he's not a light of the world. He is the light of the world. Jesus or darkness is your choice. Because the world apart from Jesus is full of darkness. The world apart from Jesus is full of darkness. And you all know that to be true if you allow yourself to process it for a moment. This world is morally dark. This world is spiritually dark. And half the time, we don't notice it. Because just like in the physical, your eyes get accustomed to the dark, the same is true spiritually for people. You get used to it. Over time, your eyes adjust. It's what you become accustomed to. And you think nothing of it. We all know that's true in the physical, don't we? If you go to watch a film in the middle of the day, when you first get into the cinema, you think, oh my goodness, it's dark in here. Or is that just me because I'm getting old? Yeah, it's dark in the cinema. But it's amazing how quickly your eyes get used to it. And you don't really notice it after some time. But I tell you what, if you, particularly if you've gone on a sunny day, when you step outside after that film into the broad daylight, you notice it, right? The contrast is big. You're like, oh, it's bright out here. Or maybe, I don't know, maybe this is just me because I have young children, but perhaps when you lay in bed in the morning this time of year and you're awake and you know you need to get up because, you know, you probably should get up, but you're just laid there thinking just a little bit longer and the light's not on quite yet. And you think, oh, it's dark. I mean, it's still, it's not quite six yet. I'm being ambitious, sometimes much later than that, but it's often earlier than that as well with the children and you're led there. <laughs> Your eyes are actually quite used to the dark. You can see a reasonable amount. <laughs> and Simeon, age four, comes running in and flicks the switch. And he goes, oh, my eyes! It hurts! Your eyes get used to the dark. And all of a sudden, when the light comes, you think, whoa, what is that? You get used to the dark. The adjustment is dramatic. The world is used to darkness. The world is used to the darkness. We live in a world that is so accustomed to the darkness, so acclimatized to the moral and spiritual darkness in which we live that they even celebrate it and believe it's right. They call darkness light. Evil, good. They call wrong, right. You know, people tend to behave badly in the dark. That's, that's like a physical truth <laughs> that reflects something of our spiritual reality and our nature apart from the light of Jesus Christ. <laughs> people behave badly in the dark. You, when you think you can't be seen, you're far more likely to act out of selfish and sinful desires when the lights are on and you feel like you can be seen. You do things you know you shouldn't in the dark. But when it's light and people can see, you're much less likely to do those things. It's just true. But Jesus came to bring light, to be light for those walking in darkness. What else about the light of the world? Well, he's the one by whom we truly see. I said, didn't I, that, that we need light to see where we're going. We need Jesus to truly see things as they are. And the light also reveals true beauty. You see, without Jesus, you don't actually see anything as it's supposed to be seen. 
as it really is. And ultimately, when you try to see without the light, when you try to see without the Creator, without Jesus, you're left drawing the kind of conclusion that says, ultimately, life is meaningless. This is it. There's no future hope. There's nothing beyond this. And there's no real right or wrong. If you truly try and see without the light, you end up drawing the same kind of conclusions as Professor Richard Dawkins, who puts it like this. He says, DNA neither cares nor knows. DNA just is, and we dance to its music. He talks about the way people behave and morality and humanity as being just dancing to the tune of our DNA. It's just blind, pitiless indifference. But when we see by the light of the world, we recognize that the light reveals true beauty in creation, reveals true beauty in people. See, when we see people in the light of Jesus, in the light of our Creator, we see them as people made in the image of our God. Not just clumps of cells dancing to the tune of their DNA. It's only by the light of the world that we see the world as it's truly intended to be. So by his light we see. But there's another thing about seeing with the light of the world. Is that in his light we are truly seen as well. We can't hide anything. And that can be really uncomfortable. Because it means that the light actually reveals our sin. The light reveals our rebellion. The things that we would want to hide in the darkness. And that can be difficult and painful, but it's actually His grace to you. And I want to explain why. So really helpfully, just slightly earlier in John chapter 8, and we're not going to read the story now, but you can flick to it if you want. We have an account of a woman who was caught doing something in the dark. A woman caught in the act of adultery. She'd broken the moral law. She was sleeping with a man who wasn't her husband. This was a serious crime. And there's, there's loads we could say about the story. We don't have time to say it all today. Like we, we could point out the hypocrisy of the Jewish leaders. Or we could ask the question, where's the man that she was sleeping with? Because it's only the woman that seems to have been dragged out into the public square for judgment. But that's for another time. For now, this is what's significant. This story is a powerful illustration of exactly what it's like to encounter Jesus, the light of the world. See, what she was doing in darkness was exposed. It was exposed cruelly and in an unhelpful way, but it was exposed. She was pulled from the darkness of the bedroom into the, into the daylight of the temple courtyard. Her sin, her shame exposed, her failure seen, put on display, no longer hidden. Everything that we would want to hide Everything that we would be ashamed of, everything that we wouldn't want people to know about us, exposed in the light of day. That's actually what happens when we come into the light of the world. There's no hiding, but that's actually a good thing. See, the religious leaders wanted judgment. They wanted condemnation. Actually, they wanted to stone that woman to death. But how did Jesus respond? We're going to come to it in just a minute. It's a good thing that our shortcomings are exposed in the light. 
Because do you know what? He sees. He sees it all. He knows it all. And he loves you. And in spite of it all, he wants relationship with you. And in all your mess and brokenness, Jesus comes to you and lovingly says, let me take that. Let me take that shame. Let me take that brokenness. Let me take that heartache. And let me bring healing. Let me remove your shame by taking it on myself at the cross. It's actually greatly liberating. If we accept his offer of forgiveness and freedom. Actually, we have a choice. (laughs) When all our failings are exposed, we have a choice. See, we can admit them and ask forgiveness and find the freeing love of our Savior who removes our shame as far as the east is from the west, who chooses to remember our sins no more, or we can try to keep hiding in the shadows and live feeling condemned. Because we know. You know the things that you want to hide. Even if no one else does, you know. And you can keep trying to hide in the shadows and live feeling condemned. Or you can allow it to be brought into the light of our Savior. He says, I I died for that. I died to deal with that, to remove your shame, to remove your guilt. And for those who know the forgiveness of Jesus, the Bible tells us there is no condemnation. For those who put their trust in him, for those who hope in him, there is no condemnation. <laughs> Look at how Jesus responds to this woman. If you've, if you've got it in your Bible, you could uh, open it up, but it's the first part of chapter 8. <laughs> As these people gather around to stone her, to condemn her for her sin. And Jesus says to them, Let any of you who's without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And you know what happens? They'll walk away because they know that there's stuff that they're hiding in the shadows that they don't want brought out into the light. They don't want judgment, really, because they know they'd receive it until she's the only one left. And Jesus stands up and says to her in verse 10, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, said Jesus. The religious leaders were hypocrites. They want to condemn her. They want to kill her for her sin. And Jesus points out in the light that they have fallen short too. And he offers her forgiveness, not condemnation. That is amazing, isn't it, right? That's incredible. And it's what Jesus offers to you. It's like, wow. (laughs) But I guess it leaves us with a question ringing in our ears. Like, wow. So do we just carry on doing whatever we want? Because there's no condemnation? Because there's forgiveness? We just carry on? Living that way, pleasing ourselves, because he forgives us, we don't need to be ashamed of our sin, we can sin in the light. No, no, no. Jesus says to the woman when he says, then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared, now go and leave your life of sin, or go and sin no more. Don't carry on walking in the darkness. Now you're in the light. Now you've received forgiveness. No. Now walk in the light. There's another passage in in the Bible, in the book of uh, 1 John, that we're going to look at very quickly, that picks up this theme so helpfully and so brilliantly for us. In in 1 John 1, verses 5 to 10, it, it should come up on the screen. It says this, This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. 
If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. (laughs) See, we've all fallen short. I don't care who you are today. You've sinned. Yeah? And I know I'm on safe ground saying it. You sinned. You have. You've been selfish. Rebellious. You've thought of yourself more highly than other people. You've chosen your own way instead of God's way. You said, I want to be Lord. I want it my way, not your way, God. All of us have done that, and worse, and more. But, there's forgiveness, there's security, there's peace to be found. Actually, Knowing that we've all fallen short, but yet can find forgiveness in Him, means that in the light, we can be honest. In the light, we can be vulnerable. We can admit our sins. And we should. We confess. And know that he is faithful to forgive and make us clean. Purify us from all unrighteousness. If you go through your life pretending that you don't make mistakes, (laughs) that you're the perfect Christian, that you're faultless, perfect in all your ways, This passage says. There's no truth in you. You make God out to be a liar. You don't live out the truth. You deceive yourself. But. In the light. You confess your sins. He's faithful and just to forgive. Guys, repentance and confessing your sins is not a one-time deal if you're a Christian. It's not like when you become a Christian, you repent, uh, and then that's the last time you ever come to God and confess your sin and ask for forgiveness. This passage says... It's writing to people who profess to be believers. It says if you do that, actually you're walking in darkness. But if you're in the light, then we will live in the light. See, in the light, we don't glory in our sins. It's not kind of like, yay, I can carry on sinning and I'm forgiven. Because I'm in the light. It's okay, there's no condemnation. Woo! Don't glory in your sins as a Christian. No, there should be sorrow. There should be repentance. Actually, there should be brokenheartedness when you sin. But there is hope, and there is glory, and there is celebration because we glory in our sins forgiven. I don't glory that I sin, but I glory that in Christ Jesus, by his blood, My sins are forgiven. We don't celebrate what we've done in the darkness. 
but we celebrate that Jesus, the light of the world, has overcome the darkness. And as a consequence, we are to walk in the light. Do you know, relationships flourish when the light floods in. Your relationship with God flourishes in the light, but also relationships with one another flourish when you walk in the light. See, darkness tries to conceal and to hide our failures. In your relationships, tell you what, darkness destroys marriages. When you try and hide things from your spouse, you're walking in the darkness and you're in trouble. But when the light floods in and there's honesty and openness in your relationship, then there can be forgiveness, there can be trust. But when you hide things, your relationship will never truly be healthy. When the light comes, it brings health to relationships. Hiding, burying, denying your sin means you are in darkness and you have no part with him. That's not me being harsh or judgmental. That's what the Bible says. (laughs) It's very clear. Guys, you need to admit and confess your sins in order to receive forgiveness and be made clean. God isn't looking for perfect people. He doesn't need you to have a spotless record. Jesus is the only one who ever did that and who ever will. God is not looking for you to be perfect. He's not looking for you to be without sin in the way you live. Because you won't. Only Jesus ever did that. Now, by the help of the Holy Spirit at work within us, to the glory of God, we sin less and less, I hope. We become more and more like Christ. We're transformed more into his likeness. We struggle less with some of the things we used to struggle to. Those things that once held us captive no longer have a hold on us as we find freedom in him and we walk in that by the Spirit. But you know what? (laughs) You're still going to get it wrong sometimes. But we ask for forgiveness. God isn't looking for perfect people. He's looking for honest people, for humble people, for teachable people, people who will believe and people who will follow and walk in the light. Jesus, what did he say? He said, I'm the light of the world. Those who follow me, (laughs) who come after me, who stick with me, who pursue me, will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Let's back into John chapter 8. We're going to move quite quickly through the next bit. The religious leaders do not like the fact that Jesus said that. They don't like Jesus' claim to be the light of the world. And actually they accuse him of lying. These religious leaders, the Pharisees, they reject him. Effectively, when they say this, they say, here you are appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. They accuse him of lying. They say his claim is without foundation. It's without basis. He's got no one to verify it. No witnesses. They say effectively that actually instead of light, he is darkness. And they're light. They have the truth. He doesn't. That's what they're saying that he's a liar, that they're telling the truth. And part of the basis for their argument, in fact, that the place they go to with it is the fact that he has no witnesses to verify his claim with him. And according to their law, and Jesus cites this later, for a statement to be verified and validated as truthful, it has to be verified by two or three witnesses. And that makes a lot of sense. Because otherwise you can get into a, a this debate where it's just like, well, it's my word against yours. I say I am. Well, I say you're not. Well, I say I am. And it's like, <laughs> but if you've got witnesses, that helps clear things up. That's good sense, right? But in this back and forth, Jesus says this. He says, I know where I came from and I know where I'm going. It's talking about not being born of human decision 
of the will of a father, but by the Holy Spirit. He's talking about coming from heaven to earth to save us. I know where I'm going. I'm going back there too, to the presence of the Father. I come from God, I'm going to God, I am God, and you don't know him. That's what he says. If you summarize Jesus' argument, that's what he says to them. He says, I've come from God, I'm going to God, I am God, actually, and you don't know God. You can't see me for who I am. You're blind to the truth. I'm here from God, for God, as God. He says, but you, if we go on slightly, I don't know whether I put it on the next slide, but I think so, maybe on to the next one. Yeah, he says this. You don't know me or my father. If you knew me, you'd know my father also. Jesus is, is uniting himself with his heavenly father to such an extent as two parts of the Trinity. They say, if you knew me, <laughs> you'd know my father in heaven. But as it is, you don't know either of us. He doesn't need someone else to verify his claim. In fact, who else could he appeal to? He's God. But actually, he says, even if you did want verification, well, two or three witnesses, hey, I'm the second person of the Trinity. And actually, this is only a couple of chapters after Jesus' baptism where we see all three at work. You see, Jesus is baptized and the Holy Spirit descends on Jesus uh, in the form of a dove from heaven. And then the Father's voice comes from heaven and says, This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. And you think, boom, two or three witnesses right there. Who is Jesus? (laughs) He's the Son of the Father from heaven. Says you want witnesses? I've got witnesses. But you don't know me and you don't know my father. You're in darkness. See, these religious leaders knew religion. They knew religion. They knew the law and they knew it well. They could quote it, they knew it inside out, they knew it super well. They had to memory memorize whole big large chunks of it. These guys knew the law, they knew religion. They followed the rules, unless it suited them to find a convenient extra way of getting around them, but they followed the rules. But they were walking in darkness. And you know what? You can be very religious and not know God. You can be very moral and not know God. But if you know God, you will walk in the light. You will walk in obedience and in morality. And then he moves on. What are the implications of rejecting him as the light? Well, he addresses particularly these men, but the consequences are the same for us. He spells out for them the implications of their blindness, the consequences of walking in darkness, of rejecting Jesus. He says, where I'm going... I don't think I actually highlighted this bit, but it's okay. I'll, I'll just, he says, I'm going away. <laughs> and where I'm going, you can't come. You can't follow me. Because you don't know my father and you don't know me. And what will happen, he says, you'll die in your sins. You can't follow me into eternity. Into the presence of my father forever if you don't receive me as the light of the world, if you don't receive me as the saviour for your sins, you can't follow me where I'm going. And instead, you'll die in your sins. But he holds out hope in verse 24. He holds out hope to them and he holds out hope to us because there's a but. He says, unless you believe that I am, 
it's just really important we notice again that so it says, in, if you do not believe or unless you believe that I am and that he is added there, and it's kind of really frustrating that the translators add it there. It, it kind of makes the sentence flow better. Um, but actually, what Jesus says there, again, is he says, I told you, you die in your sins if you do not believe that I am. That I am. You will indeed die in your sins. In other words, if you don't, if you just see Jesus as a prophet or a moral teacher or some kind of guru to, to like, that had some nice lessons to live by, Jesus says, if that's where you stop, or if you try and think that there's a way to God apart from through Jesus, if you don't believe that I am, if you don't accept me as Lord, and submit to me as Lord. You'll die in your sins. That's the consequence. <laughs> Outside of Jesus, you will die in your sins. And I don't say that lightly. It breaks my heart. That that's true. That's true of people I know. That's true of members of my family right now. That outside of Jesus... They cannot follow him where he goes into the presence of his father for eternity. You reject Jesus, you will stay in darkness. My friends, you need to hear this this afternoon. It does not matter how religious you are. It doesn't. It doesn't matter how good your moral performance is. It doesn't matter how kind you are, how generous you are. It doesn't matter how welcoming you are to other people. It doesn't matter how woke you are, how inclusive you are. If you don't believe, trust, hope in Jesus then you will die in your sins. And I'm not saying that to be judgmental. I'm not saying that to be harsh. I'm saying that out of love. I'm saying that out of care. Because I believe with all my heart that that is true. And it's the most important thing you'll ever hear and the most important decision you'll ever make is how you respond to that truth. I'm not saying it because I like it. I'm saying it because Jesus said it. And we need to hear it. They're loving words. It's a loving warning. It's out of a concern and a desire that you would not die in your sins. But that instead you would know life. And life in all its fullness. That instead you would have freedom. That instead of walking in darkness, you would walk in the light. For now and for eternity, if you walk in the light, if you believe in Him, if you confess your sins and trust in Him to forgive you, then the promise of our Savior is that in Him you will know the light of life. And you know what? As He declared it to these people, the last thing we read in verse 30 is that many... You heard him, believed in him. <laughs> and they received light. And they received life. And they received true freedom. That's good news. Those people moved from death to life that day. By believing in him, <laughs> they will not die in their sins. They'll live, live in righteousness. But how about you? We're going to finish now. And as we do, this is, this is how I want to conclude. How about you? See, some of you have walked in the light. But right now, you're trying to hide in the shadows. For some of you today, there's stuff going on in your life that you are trying to hide. You're hiding it from your friends and your family and you foolishly think you can hide it from God. 
God, you need to bring it into the light that you could receive forgiveness and no freedom again. Remember what we read in that passage from 1 John 1? If we confess our sins, what is he? He's faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from unrighteousness, to give us right standing with him. You're hiding in the shadows. You need to bring it out into the light. Let the light of Jesus shine in. Find forgiveness. Find freedom again. Think about it like this. Think about it like this. When the light of Jesus shines on you, when you let the light of Jesus shine in and your sin is exposed, it's like getting an early cancer diagnosis. It's like getting an early cancer diagnosis. I'll explain what I mean by that. You see, if you catch cancer early, you can treat it. It's not too late. It can be dealt with. It can be removed. It can be treated. You don't celebrate the diagnosis. I mean, that would be crazy. No one's like, yay, I've got cancer. I mean, I know that sounds insensitive, but that's how ridiculous it would be. You don't celebrate the diagnosis. You don't celebrate when sin is exposed in your life. But I tell you what, you're thankful that it's not too late. You're thankful that something can be done about it. And you want something done about it. It's the same. Your sin is like cancer. If it's left in the darkness, if it's left untreated, if it's left to fester, guys, it will kill you. But today, it's not too late. You can find forgiveness. You can find freedom. Jesus is clear in this. You walk in darkness, you reject the light of the world, there's no hope. Apart from Jesus, there is no light in this world. But, when our sin is brought into the light of Christ, it can be dealt with. If you confess your sin, he is faithful to forgive. And I want us to respond to that now. Some of you, like I just said, You've walked in the light. You call yourself a Christian. You said, Jesus, I want to follow you. I receive forgiveness. But right now, you're trying to hide in the shadows with some stuff. And some of you, maybe, you've never accepted Jesus as the light of the world. You've never responded to that offer of light, of life, of freedom. You've never said, I believe. I want to follow you, Jesus, that I might truly see. Well, I want to invite you to do that today. It might get messy in a second, but that's okay. Um, I want us all to stand. Um, Rich, do you think you could come and we could sing something? This is going to be very slightly chaotic. Um, Rich is going to come and, and lead us in singing something. But I don't want us to go without responding. Our time's kind of very nearly gone. We're going to need to collect children soon. But I don't want us to go without doing this. If you are trying to hide in the shadows, and you know you are, I want to invite you as we sing this song to just come to the front. And some people will come pray for you and with you. If you've never responded to the offer of Jesus to receive the light of life, but today you think, I want that, then I want to encourage you to be brave. It's the best thing you'll ever do. The best thing you'll ever do is the best decision you'll ever make. Then I want to encourage you to come and do that this morning as well. 
And if neither of those things apply to you, that's okay. In fact, that's good. (laughs) That's all right. We're going to sing together and celebrate the fact that we can know forgiveness. That we in Him, we have light, we have freedom.